Grace and peace be with you all from the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sermon text this evening will come from Psalm 78. If you want to open your Bibles to that passage, or it is also printed in the worship order. If you would like to follow along there. Psalm 78, I'll be reading the first few passages, but referring to the entire psalm in just a moment. We are in the middle of a mini-series on the Psalms where we're looking at the gospel of grace from the book of Psalms. And as I was preparing for this sermon this week, it hit me that preaching is a very weird and strange thing to do. Here it is Sunday evening. You have many things that you could be doing and you've gathered in the name of the Lord to sit under the preaching of God's word. And the pressure is on. As a pastor, I want to speak the truth in love. As a pastor, I want to do it in a way that is both meaningful and interesting. I want to speak with with substance and with style and flair. And I want to do it all for the glory of God and the good of the church. And so you can imagine what goes through my heart and mind as I ascend these steps, thinking of the burden that is before us and then concern for you of how will this fall on you and be received by you? All of this is to say that preaching is hard, but perhaps even harder than preaching is listening to preaching. And so my prayers are for you that God will grant you the grace to hear his word with joy and with faith and to receive it peacefully as the people of God should. Over the years, I have received a lot of advice and counsel concerning preaching I do want to improve and grow in this craft. It is what I do. And so I want to get better at it day in and day out, week in and week out. And my family knows how much I struggle with these things. One Sunday on our way home from church, my son Dagan offered what I think might be some of the best preaching advice that I personally ever received. And in an offhanded comment, he said, You know, not every sermon has to be epic. Now, that might be obvious to all of you, but it wasn't so obvious to me the day he said it. But it was like an epiphany. And it actually changed the way I started approaching preaching and sermon preparation. So I want to say at the outset that this sermon is not going to be epic. The psalm that we're going to reflect on is epic. It is epic. It is an epic poem. And here's what I mean by epic poem. It is epic in the sense that it is a long, not quite book length, but it is a long narrative in verse form that retells the historic journey of a group of people in relation with God. And the elements of an epic typically distinguish such things as super superhuman deeds and fabulous adventures and highly stylized language and a blending of lyrical and dramatic tradition. All of this comes together in Psalm 78. Many of the world's oldest written narratives are in epic form. And to that list of written epics, we would add the works of John Milton and his epic poem, Paradise Lost would fit into that. It is considered one of the world's greatest works of literature. And the only reason I mention Milton here is because of something I came across in reference to Milton that said 
that in the margins of Milton's own Bible, he singled out 15 psalms in some way. He underlined, initialed, ticked, bracketed, or marked parts of the psalms. But when you get to Psalm 78, Psalm 78 was smudged with wear. It was smudged with wear. Now, when an epic poet smudges Psalm 78 because he has read it and reread it and reread it again, it might encourage you to spend some time in Psalm 78. If he considered it epic, then you know that it was probably epic. Well, I invite you to stand and hear some of this epic poem from Psalm 78. And I'll be reading the first eight verses. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching and the hearing of his word. And all the church says, you may be seated. Here's what I want to do in the sermon. I'm going to give you three nudges, three nudges. The first nudge is a prophetic nudge. The second nudge will be a pastoral nudge. And the third nudge will be a parental nudge. I say prophetic nudge because the Gospel of Matthew refers to Psalm 78 when it tells us that Jesus spoke in parables in order to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And then Psalm 78 is quoted. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. The point I'm making here is that the psalmist is also a prophet. He speaks with this artistic creativity and he speaks also with this concrete authority. He's echoing the law of God in a poetic fashion. The law of God instructed fathers to correct and teach their children according to the word of God. But the law said, you shall teach the words of God diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. The scripture readings before our sermon this evening shows us how Jesus and the apostles also echoed the law of God and reinforced this command for us. Let the children come to me. The promise is for you and your children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord that it may go well with you. Fathers, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
The psalmist, by using poetry, gets around our been there, done that defense mechanisms. He's telling us the same truths, the same law, the same commands, the same teachings in a very poetic way. And this gets around our defenses. In this psalm, if you were to take time to read through the whole psalm, you would see that he pulls together people and events and stories. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. He pulls it all together and he tells in about seven minutes of poetry what would take you about 70 minutes of history reading to get at. He condenses all of that in a very brief and concise way. The main theme in the psalm is the saving acts of God in space-time history for his people Israel. This is the thrust of the psalm. The psalmist is showing us how God initiated a covenant relationship with his people and entered into their experience in the world. He shows how God delivered his people from Egypt by power and glory. He shows how God was so devoted to his people, even when his people were not so devoted to him. He also shows how God disciplined his people to help them become a more disciplined kind of people. So the psalm is encouraging us to reflect on God's saving works in history. The psalm is encouraging parents to know that story so that they can teach that story to their children. The psalmist is doing what many parts of Scripture do, and that is urging us to catechize our children. And catechize is just a very fancy way of saying teach and instruct your children in the things of God. Teach them specifically the story of God. Tell them who God is and what God has done and why God does it. So parents, here's what it means for you. It means that you need to know the story of God. If you were listening to the psalmist, you would say, I need to know the story of God in the Exodus, in the wilderness experience, in the land of Canaan and in Jerusalem. I need to tell this story again and again over and over to my children. What it means for you, Christian parents, is that you also need to know the story of God, the story of God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. And knowing the story of God in the true and better exodus, in the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, his ministry, his death, his life. And you need to know that story so well, that gospel story so well that you can tell it over and over and over again to your children. Now, the reason the psalmist encourages us to catechize our children in the story of God is crucial. Notice what he says here. He wants to see our children and great grandchildren set their hope in God and not forget the works of God to keep his commandments and not be stubborn and rebellious like some of their family and friends might be. But but to become a generation whose heart is steadfast, whose spirit is loyal to God. That's why he wants us to catechize our children He's not just giving us busy work. He's giving us the work of God to do in our families. He wants us to rear a faithful generation of children who love the Lord their God with all their heart and all their mind and all their soul and all their strength. 
As someone who has been raising four kids, I know that that is easier said than done. But I also know that it can be done. I know that some days are better than others. Some days are better than others. But you got to keep this in mind, mom and dad. Keep this in mind that parenting is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It is a long and often difficult journey. It's not a quick trip around the corner. It is a sojourning, not a stroll. It might take you 20 or 40 years to get across this wasteland. But you walk by grace through faith in Christ and it can be done. Things are not always going to turn out exactly as you wish. But you can trust and rest assured that they will turn out exactly as God wills. So moms and dads, if you want your children to trust and obey God from the heart, you must show them the way. Even if it means stumbling towards eternity Every inch of the way. Show them how the gospel story shapes life. That's what the psalmist is getting at. Now, speaking of stories, a few days ago, I was sitting at St. Arbuck's, as I like to do. And I was drinking coffee and jotting down notes on this psalm. And sitting next to me was a middle-aged African-American man doing his work, I'm doing my work, and then he nudges me, wants to know if I was a pastor. We strike up a conversation. At one point he said, what are you working on? No one ever asked me that. What are you working on? I said, oh, I'm working on a sermon on Psalm 78. And he interrupted me. He goes, Psalms? Ah, what I like are stories. I like stories. I can still remember the Bible stories my mama told me when I was a kid. Now, it's been a long time since he's been in church, but he remembers those stories. And I told him what I'm about to tell you is that is Psalm 78 is a story. The Bible is full of stories. The Psalm tells us a story. These stories are for kids, but they're also for big kids like you. They're for big people like us. These stories are for everyone who has ears to hear. Well, speaking of kids, I want to take a moment to say something to all the little children who are with us. So little children, I want you to rouse from your slumbers if you're able and pay close attention to the words of my mouth and listen to this old story in a new way. What I want to do is tell you how Psalm 78 tells us the gospel. And instead of reading Psalm 78, I'm just going to cut straight to the chase and talk about Jesus. Okay, so little kids, listen up here. The psalm is telling us about the mighty works of God and the amazing things that God did for his people a long time ago in the Old Testament. He talks about how God brought them out of Egypt and led them through the desert and then gave them a king in the promised land. So that's what God did for our forefathers. But the question we often ask is, well, what has God done for us? What has God done for you? And that's what I want you to hear even now. I want you to know the story of the mightiest and most amazing thing that God has ever done anywhere for anyone. And so I'm going to echo the psalmist and tell you the story of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, do you know what the gospel is? Do you guys know what the good news is? 
It's a story about Jesus' work to save you. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, including you. And it goes like this. God came into the world and became a man named Jesus to save you. Jesus was a man after God's own heart and He served God's people as a faithful pastor with an upright heart and with skilled hands. Jesus obeyed the law of God and never disobeyed the law of God. He loved God and he loved people, not just his family and friends, but even strangers and even enemies. Jesus came into the world to save you and me and lots of other people from all of our bad attitudes and our bad actions. He came to rescue us from the power of the devil and even from death. And this is how God shows his love for us in Jesus. He gave his one and only son as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus laid down his life for you at the cross. He took your place at the cross and he was punished for your sins. He gave up his spirit and he died and he was buried. And on the third day, he rose up again from the dead. Now, Jesus did all of these things to prove that he is the one true God and that all these other gods out there are fake gods. But he also did this to protect you from angels that God sends to destroy in judgment. When these destroyers come, you don't have to be afraid Because they will pass right over you. And they will pass right over you because Jesus, your Passover lamb, shed his blood, was sacrificed for you, and his blood is sprinkled on your hearts. God sent his spirit to guide you from slavery to freedom. He helps us escape the power of the devil. And you remember when you think of that story, the old stories, you know, that what you remember what God did when our forefathers left Egypt and they came to the Red Sea. God blew apart the waters with his spirit and the people crossed over on dry ground. At that time, all the people, men, women and children were baptized by the rains that fell from the cloud, the cloud of glory that landed on the people. Little children, I want you to remember That you also were baptized. You also were baptized and water rained down upon you, was poured down upon you, came down from above. Remember what God has done for you, how he delivered you from evil. And don't forget to rejoice and to worship God for what he's done for you. Give thanks and praise to God. And remember this, that you are not alone. The spirit of Christ is with you. He's leading you out of everything that is wrong and bad in the world and leading you into everything that is right and good in God's eyes. The Holy Spirit is helping you on this journey and helping you become more like Jesus. Like our forefathers, we are living in the desert, so to speak, between Egypt and the promised land. And God is with us and he gives us everything we need for life. When we get hungry and thirsty, God gives us water from the rock and bread from heaven. He gives us the spirit of Christ and the word of Christ. He also gives us sacraments, means of grace, 
baptism and the Lord's Supper. He gives us water, bread and wine, the spirit, the body and the blood of Jesus. These are the gifts of God for the people of God like you. He also gives us the church, a family and a community of people to help keep us safe and secure. And when we need to learn how to live and what to do and where to go, God gives us his word in the Old Testament and the New Testament to show us the way we need to go. When you face enemies in life like the world or the flesh or the devil, God drives them away from you. When you need leaders in your life, God sends you pastors and teachers and elders to fight for you. To fight off dangers and wolves. To teach you the truth and show you the way to go. And when you come to the end of your life, God will bring you all the way home into the promised land. He will bring you into the new heavens and new earth and give you a new place to live and move and rest. Little children, you need to know that this is the story of Psalm 78 It's the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the story that your parents and your pastors are trying to teach you. It's also the story that you must ask for, that you must believe, that you must confess with your own mouth. And here's why. Little children, if you believe the gospel story with your heart, If you believe that Jesus was crucified on the cross for you and died for your sins. And if you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead and lives for you. If you confess with your mouth, say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who says, Jesus, save me, will be saved. Now, here's a little personal nudge for parents. That story that we just heard is a story that your kids need to hear again and again. Sometimes in less mature ways, sometimes in more mature ways. But they need to hear that story, don't they? That is the story that shapes their life. And that's the story that you are tasked with teaching your children. Now, my interest in treating children as disciples of Jesus Christ or followers of Jesus was kindled as far back as 1992 before I even had children. I was the ripe old age of 21 years old and given an assignment to write a paper on Psalm 78 with this instruction. You need to write a plan for raising a faithful generation. I was still a kid myself and didn't have children and had no idea what I was doing. And so as I recall, I think as I got the note back, the note at the top of my very low grade was not specific enough. That probably didn't surprise you, but uh, not specific enough has haunted me throughout my ministry. Well, in his own subtle way, what the teacher was trying to get us to do is nudge us towards some kind of catechesis, a thoughtful, well-ordered method of teaching our kids the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. A few years later, when Shannon and I had kids of our own, these questions became far more pressing and real. And I look for ways to get a little bit more specific about how to do this. 
And it was only through trial and error that we came across uh, resources and communities beyond our own tradition that helped us immensely. So I want you to know that early on in our family life, we started trying to apply the wisdom of Psalm 78 with one overarching purpose and goal in mind. The one that's stated in the psalm. We wanted our family to be a God-centered, word-based family. We wanted to raise Christian children, not Church of Christ children, not Baptist children, not American evangelical children, not even Presbyterian and Reformed children per se. We wanted to raise Christian children, Christian children who were cross-bearing, cross-shaped children, devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ alone, whose hearts are solid and steady, whose spirits are loyal to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And after all of these years, 20 plus years of trying to do that, I want to say the work is not yet done. We're still working towards all of that. And I don't think we'll ever get out of it, judging by what men and women older than myself have told me. I will say this, that although God has already written the story of all of our children in his book, from our point of view as parents in space-time history, we don't know the end of the story as God does. And so for us, it's just one moment after another, God revealing one line at a time, one word at a time, turning one page at a time. We don't always know what's coming next. But here's the point as we get hung up on whether our children are faithful, whether we are faithful in rearing those children. The thing I don't want you to miss out here is the faithfulness of God who draws straight lines with crooked sticks. God is faithful and he gives more grace. And so I want to say on behalf of my wife and kids, I praise God for what he's done in our family so far. Sometimes because of what we've done and oftentimes in spite of what we've done. And I know some of you parents feel this burden and angst and you feel like it's mission impossible and you just want to give up sometimes Man, I've been there and done that so many times, but don't give up. I want to remind you that you have so many privileges and advantages that we didn't have. What seemed to us to be radical 20 plus years ago is ordinary and normal to you all. What we were doing alone as oddballs in our community, you get to do together. You get to do this together with each other. And so with all that in mind, I want to remind you of the vows that you took when your children were baptized into Christ. And please hear me. This is not a guilt trip and this is not fear mongering. This is all about grace and faith and just reminding you that you've made promises and vows. And the promises and vows you've made are so good, but they still fall way short of the promises that God has made to you and your family. But still, I want to remind you that you acknowledged your children's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit. And you claimed God's covenant promises on their behalf and look forward in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation, just as you do for your own salvation. And you devoted your children to God without reservation, no strings attached. 
You promised in humble reliance upon divine grace that you will endeavor to set before them a godly example that you will pray with and for them and that you will teach them the doctrines of our holy religion and that you will strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In other words, you promised before God and his church that you will do your dead level best to make disciples of your children, to help them become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That started before they were born, when you knew they were coming into the world and it continued when they were born and you were praying with them and reading. It continued when they were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And it continues even now as you wrestle and struggle to teach them to obey the Lord Jesus Christ day in and day out. So if I can just say a word of encouragement to you, again, this is not about guilt tripping or fear mongering. You guys are doing a great job. And of course, we can all grow and do better and do more and all of that stuff. But let me just say for now, you're doing a great job. So keep on, moms and dads, keep on reading stories from the Bible. Keep on telling stories from the Bible. Keep on singing stories from the Bible. Keep on participating in the life of the church, in Sunday school, and missional communities. These things don't take the place of what you're doing at home. We're just here to help supplement that and encourage you in those efforts. Keep on gathering for worship on the Lord's Day. I know it's tough. Five o'clock is difficult for a lot of different reasons, but persevere. Do the best you can with this. And above all, keep on pointing your children to the Lord Jesus Christ, their Savior and yours. Let us pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who has blessed us with the joy and care of children, we ask you to give us light and strength to train them that they may love whatsoever things are true and pure and lovely and of good report following the example of their Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, O God, for the fathers and mothers and children of this congregation who have taken upon themselves the responsibility of pursuing obedience to your word and bringing their children up in the Lord. And we give you thanks and praise, O God, for the good works they're doing. And we ask you for more grace that they may continue to do these things with joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. I pray for our little children as they come up in Christ. I pray that you will deepen their love for him, their hope in him, and their faith towards him. And I pray that they will see these same things in their mothers and fathers. And that all of these things will be done for the glory of God, for the good of his people for this generation and generations to come. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.